In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One must only read a few verses in the beginning of the Bible, literally through Genesis 1, verse 3, before one sees a record of the Holy Trinity at work, not only in creation, but in the creation. God the Father began a plan to form creation. God the Holy Spirit brooded in anticipation over the chaos and the waters, waiting for creation to begin. And God the Son was the active force. The effect of the words spoken by the Father when God uttered the first words of creation, let there be light. In a parallel manner, St. John, as he unfolds the mystery of the Incarnation in the first chapter of his Gospel, reminds us of this fact when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without him, without him being the Word, not one thing that came into being, not one thing that exists, would exist unless the Word created it. Today is Trinity Sunday, which is one of the most anticipated and also one of the most fearful Sundays for the preacher to stand in front of his congregation. For today is not about a miracle that Jesus performed, nor is it retelling a story from the Old Testament, nor is it about explaining some twisting passage from a letter of St. Paul. Rather, today is the day we celebrate a mystery, a doctrine of the church. And it is the doctrine that no one fully understands. And it's a mystery that still puzzles us, even though we know how to grasp at a few right answers. We recall today, as we do every day of the week, but especially today, that God is a deity in unity, of oneness, of three distinct persons that act in distinct ways, but also cooperate fully with each other to the end that one does not dominate over the others. So what to make of this? What to make of tapping into the reality of who God truly is? Well, first, we must put a few common misconceptions, common errors that are either the work of Plato, Socrates, and ancient Greek mythology, which have crept into our theology of who God is, or we need to send some uh, ideas from the Enlightenment packing about who God is as a far distant and really doesn't care what's happening to this earth type of God, a deist perspective that came to this nation from England and France in their Enlightenment literature. If our idea about God is not based and formed on what we find in Scripture, then the visions that we construct in our minds will always fall short of the truth. Unlike all the other mythologies, the other religions of the world, or even the private musings that philosophers, authors, and cinema directors have sometimes conjured up, God, 
that by which we call a variety of names, is not some passive, non-engaging God who, when he does decide to act, only sends out lightning bolts from heaven and zaps people and then goes back to sleep. That's actually Zeus, one of the Greek or Roman gods, if you call him Jupiter. That's not our God. Rather, God, or Yahweh, or Elohim, or Adonai, is a complex, engaged, non-slumbering God who not only created this world and the cosmos, everything that we can see, everything even like you and me, but created all the things that we cannot see as well. Things like atoms or particles that make up quantum mechanics or x-rays or radio waves or gamma rays from stars that bombard us even the very air that we breathe. But that too is a gross simplification of God. God is a father, a figure of authority, of someone who is caring and nurturing, a person who is deeply involved in the lives of his people, in the lives of his family. But God is also a son, who is not some son who begrudgingly acts in accord with his father, but a son who willingly accepts the tasks given to him because of his love, not obligation, but of love. And God is also a spirit that acts in accord with what the Godhead, that's a fancy word for the Trinity's mind and being, the, the nature of the Trinity. We call it the Godhead. The Spirit acts in accord with what the Godhead wishes and wants and then conveys that to us, the human race, who are here on this planet that was created. This doesn't make sense to us, and it never will until we come to not only understand cerebrally what is happening, but also until we begin to live out that unity within our own lives. And that is part of what we must always remember about the Lord, about our God. And it's that God exists as a trinity that is a unity in itself. And it's not just any unity, like the unity our political parties promise, or unity as in four out of five members of the family vote to eat at this place for dinner tonight, but unity as in being in total accord, completely committed to what the three-in-one and the one-in-three desires. And part of our call is to live into that unity. What we find also in Genesis 1 is that we, humans, are made as the imago dei, the image of God. And part of our role is to reflect the triune God's love and care for all of creation down to this world. It's kind of like an angled mirror. We're, we, as the mirror, at one point, we say we look up. It works this way. We look up to God. We look up to see God. 
and then to reflect God's love through us as a mirror to the rest of the world. And we do that by how we interact with our neighbor, how we care for creation, how we care for those who are helpless. But because a mirror works two ways, we also then reflect to God the praises of creation. We're a mirror that works both ways, slightly at an angle. And that is part of what our role means, to be in the image of God, to be the imago Dei. It's part of our roles to reflect God to the world and the praises of the world back to God. That's part of our vocation. It's part of our stewardship even to creation. What binds the creation together is love. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. And the Son loves the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. Not as some unequal or conditional love, but as pure love. The truest love that there is that we can only catch glimpses of now and again. And within that trinity, there is not the self-seeking love, nor is there love that is demanding upon the other two members, but instead it is the love of three persons who live in perfect harmony, perfect existence, perfect mutuality. Our lesson from this relationship that is contained in the Trinity is what we are called to pattern our lives after. Part of our vocation as Christians is to imitate God. Imitate Jesus as our patterns in all of our thoughts, our words, our deeds, even in the very occupations that we have. And just as the Trinity cannot decide that it no longer needs one of its persons, Jesus, we don't need you. Holy Spirit, we don't need you. The Trinity doesn't work that way. Just as the Trinity cannot decide that it no longer needs one of its persons, so too we cannot decide that we have no need of the people who are placed into our lives. The love that the Trinity feels for each other just doesn't cease, it doesn't end, it doesn't die. It is an eternal, mutual love that continues to grow and grow and grow. There is an interesting, I'll just use that word, an interesting set of theological ideas, and I'll sum this up really, really quickly, but it it links creation and Trinity together. And it draws from other texts in the Bible, kind of like the Proverbs text. It doesn't just draw from Genesis and John. And what this argument says is that the creation is the outpouring of the love of the Trinity in a tangible way. It works like this. Imagine some sort of vessel, either a cup or maybe even a large barrel, and that the love of God that is incorporated in the Trinity fills this barrel or this cup and begins to overflow, bubbling over the edges. The love of the Trinity cannot be contained. 
It must go somewhere. So, as some people have thought, this love that is outpoured is what creation is. The outpouring of love itself is the universe. It is the cosmos. The love of the Trinity spilled over and the result were stars and nebula and galaxies and this solar system, the earth. Everything we have ever seen, everything we have known, and everything that is yet to be. In essence, creation itself and you and me as part of it are the results of God's love. The love of the Trinity that it has for itself pouring out into what we call reality. Just as that love overflows its bounds, we are to be people of love. People of unbounded love. People who look at this world and see the love of God in every tree, in every leaf. But more importantly, in every person and in everything that we see and everything that we experience. That's part of how we live into a Trinitarian Christianity. To recognize that God, serving as creator, redeemer, sustainer, God acting as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God being to each of us our source, but also the truth that we seek, and also the inspiration that propels our minds in imagination, which does so in order that we may reflect back to him, back to creation, what he formed out of love. If we are to learn any lessons from the Trinity, any lessons of why the Trinity is important to us, it is the relationship of love that we are called to reflect to the world. We, the image of God, are not just supposed to show love, not just demonstrate love, but to live love into our lives, reflecting what God's love looks like to the world. Reflecting what God's love looks like to a world that sometimes is filled with hurt and pain and sorrow and utter despair. We, the image bearers, are called to love this world, love each person as Jesus taught us, to love each person as the Holy Spirit empowers us and as the Father shows us by the giving of his Son to redeem us from our sins. And it's actually not just our calling as Christians, but that's the vocation of every human being, man, woman, and child. So how can you be the Imago Dei in this world? 
How can you show what the love of the Trinity looks like? And I'll tell you first, it isn't easy. It's not easy at all. So if you can only think of difficult ways of living into that love, if the Spirit is drawing you to do something where you must step outside of yourself, then you may be discerning what your role as an image bearer of God might be. Because as someone has once said, there is a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts that only God can fill. And when those who are not Christians, those who have never truly experienced the love of God in a real way, those who keep searching for some sort of truth or for some sort of care, or for some sort of direction, notice the Trinitarian theme, they will be drawn to Christ because they too are in the image of God as well. And only the love of the Trinity and only the love that it expresses can fill that gap. So much of it depends on us reflecting that love to the world. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. For you have made man a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and worship. Let us all live into our callings. Live into what? being Trinitarian means in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.